Hey, everybody. It is Monday, November 28th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read the news so you don't have to. I hope everyone had a nice, long Thanksgiving weekend. Jill, I imagine there were two holiday weekends for you before the Michigan <laughs> win and after. How is your, more importantly, how is your Buckeye husband doing? Well, the Michigan-Ohio State game, you're right. It is like a national holiday in my house. I went to Michigan. Uh, and as you mentioned, my husband went to Ohio State. And he is a crazy, crazy fan. So needless to say, Michigan. Well, what, what was your dog's name? Our dog was named Trestle for Jim Trestle, who used to coach Ohio State. Right. Our license plate used to be Buck uh, Bucknuts, but actually New York State <laughs> took it away. They were like, I guess it's considered like a dirty name or something. They Bucknuts. We, we had to New we had York. to retire the license plate. So rated G New York State. Okay. <laughs> um, so he is a crazy fan, but needless to say, the uh, Michigan win it was forty eight twenty three, the first win in Columbus in twenty two years made for a bit of a rough Saturday night at my house. I don't know if you remember, Mosh. I actually wrote an article for CBS News a while ago talking about how I'm torn on game day now because I've, I, of course, went to Michigan. Yes. I want Michigan to win. But I do want a happy household. And it really means a lot more to my husband than it does to me. Yes, uh, Mike, if you're listening, uh, the rest of this podcast will move on to other subjects. We have a lot of news to get to, Jill. That's right. Okay, so here are the headlines. Unprecedented protests in China over the country's zero COVID policy. U.S. and Iran tensions escalate, this time at the World Cup. Former President Trump, Kanye West, and a white nationalist walk into Mar-a-Lago. File it under, you cannot make this up, we'll explain. And the miracle at sea, what we're learning about the man who was rescued after falling off of a cruise ship and spending nearly a day treading water. This is a remarkable story, Jill, and we have questions for the sister who was apparently with this guy on the cruise ship. A deep tease, folks. You should tune in for this story <laughs> later. Okay, but let's start in China, where the country's zero COVID policy is being met with protests, including for the first time, calls for China's leader, Xi Jinping, to step down. This is unprecedented, and it is the most widespread opposition to the ruling party in decades. The protests started Friday. They've now spread to numerous cities, including Beijing and dozens of college campuses. Three years after COVID first emerged, China still takes draconian measures to prevent the virus from spreading, and that includes shutting down neighborhoods and keeping people in their homes with not enough food and medicine. They also send infected people to quarantine centers. Mosh, you got a tour of one of those facilities a few months ago. It was, I believe it was from an Italian um, tourist, right, who was living in the country. Yeah, li living there with his Ukrainian girlfriend. They both, we, we, we could talk about it further, but they basically both got COVID. They were sent to separate camps, uh, quarantine centers, where he's like, man, this place is dirtier. And like, I'm going to get more sick at this place than at home. But just an example of uh, China, which, by the way, and people ask this, Jill, are they dealing with the same COVID variants that we are? Yes, they are. They're still living like it's March 2020. What struck me about those quarantine centers is that you've got people basically sleeping on cots, sharing bathrooms and sinks with strangers. But like the last place you would ever want to be if you actually had COVID. No showers, no hygiene. Yeah. Okay, now this has been going on since the beginning of the pandemic, but the protests erupted last week as a reaction to this deadly fire. It killed at least 10 people in an apartment building in the northwestern part of the country, an area that had been under lockdown for about four months since August. According to the AP, there were a lot of questions online about whether firefighters or people trying to escape 
were blocked by locked doors or other restrictions. Yeah, I mean, what's crazy here that people need to remember as like the world, sort of the rest of us have moved on, is that three years into the virus now, remember it emerged in China in November of 2019, China is now the only major country that's still trying to stop all transmission of COVID. They call it zero COVID. There's zero COVID strategy. And so what it means is they still lock down entire neighborhoods. And this is way beyond any lockdown we ever saw in the U.S. This is literally you're locked down in your house. You're not allowed to leave. Uh, There are people who set up barriers to entire neighborhoods. And by the way, China neighborhoods, you're talking about millions of people sometimes. You know, cities in China, there are so many cities in China that have more than 10 million people in them, sometimes 20 million people. So some of these cities are still carrying out daily virus tests of millions of residents, sometimes only over a handful of cases, a few hundred cases. Now, China has a record number of cases now, 35,000. Now, to put that into context, at our peak in the U.S., we were seeing a million positive cases a day, and that didn't even account for everybody. So this is 35,000 cases in a country of 1.4 billion, and uh, China is like you know losing it over this, and so are the people now. And so that's what's so interesting here is that you don't commonly see protests in China, especially in the mainland. Uh, you know, you saw it in Hong Kong years ago, they cracked down on that. I mean, some people are comparing this jail to Tiananmen Square, 89. You know, people in the streets on video calling for the downfall of the regime and Xi Jinping is a pretty remarkable thing. Police used pepper spray on the protesters to break up the crowds. Uh, one reporter saw protesters uh, under arrest being driven away by buses. Uh, Many of those protesters were the ones calling for Xi Jinping, the leader now, likely leader for life in China, uh, to step down. So it, it is something that really bears watching in these next few days. And China is stuck between a rock and a hard place when it comes to COVID, because if they want to keep COVID rates low, they're going to have to keep these draconian lockdowns in place. And if they open back up, COVID will take an enormous toll on the country. And that's because there's a very low vaccination rate, which might be surprising. Um, But especially amongst the older population, there's this low vaccination rate. And also because they have kept COVID so under control with these lockdowns, there's very, very little natural immunity. Yeah. I mean, their success in the past three years of locking down is really what is hurting them and is what leading is leading to this fear now. So on one side, they have people who are like watching the World Cup and watching the rest of the world being like, wait, what's this rest of the world doing with no masks and moving on with their lives? And China's like, well, we got to keep doing that because we've been so successful so far. We can't let you out and about because no one's been exposed to COVID these past three years. And then on top of that, they had this sort of um, reverse strategy where they were vaccinating the young people and not the old people, even though the old people are most susceptible to this. And they were using the Chinese vaccines, not the mRNA vaccines. That So they saw a lot, a lot less effectiveness of those vaccines. So there's sort of multiple issues at hand here. But you really bring up, Jill, the key point here, which is like the people are demanding that they let things up. But if they let things up, they're going to see COVID run through the population in the same way we saw it run through the population. But China does not have the number of ICUs hospitals, et cetera. And again, there is almost zero natural immunity in the country right now because of the way they've been locking down those cities. Okay, Moshe, switching gears to politics here in the U.S., the fallout continues for Donald Trump after he hosted a small pre-Thanksgiving dinner at Mar-a-Lago for Kanye West, who now goes by the name Ye, and a couple of his friends, including outspoken white supremacist and white nationalist Nick Fuentes, 
several prominent Republicans, including some former Trump loyalists, are calling out the former president for the meeting, especially as he runs for the White House again. Trump has acknowledged this dinner in multiple statements on his Truth Social, claiming that Ye didn't say anything anti-Semitic during their meal. So he's got that going for him. Check. Okay. And that he had no idea who Fuentes was at this five-person dinner. The far-right activist, widely known with the Republican Party for his extremist views, including expressing doubts about the Holocaust, downplaying racial segregation, and calling for white control of the country. Fuentes has been labeled white supremacist by the Department of Justice. Uh, The dinner included a discussion of Trump's 2024 White House run, as well as Kanye's plan to also run for president. It just gets crazier here. The dinner reportedly <laughs> this, ended in a by, shouting match. By the way, th- this is all, as as Jill says this, folks, uh, this has all been acknowledged by Trump, Ye, and Fuentes, who've all put statements out. This all happened. Okay, so, okay. Again, the dinner reportedly ending in a shouting match with Trump telling Kanye, excuse me, Ye, not to run. Ye, of course, has uh, made a string of anti-Semitic comments, multiple brands, including Adidas, have dropped their partnerships with him. It's almost, if it wasn't so scary, it's actually kind of funny. I mean, like you and I, before this podcast, were almost laughing about it because it's just, what? I mean, to just be a fly on the wall watching what these guys could have possibly talked about. Well, it's just like, wait, did former President Trump, now candidate Trump, have nothing better to do the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving than have dinner with Kanye and apparently... You know, not even asking like, hey, gay, who are your friends? What are they known for? And more importantly, Jill, like or by you know, no, people- Google, just Google. Google. I mean, like I Google people who I'm going to have dinner with. You'd sure. think that somebody around the former president might think to figure out who's coming to Mar-a-Lago. Well, and that's the significant thing is this is such a staffing error because like maybe Trump's not Googling people, but like he needs to have staff around him as he, you know, again, if he wasn't from running for president again, people would care much less about this. But the fact that he's running again, that he is the front runner, and that after six years of this, there's no one around former President Trump who's like, hey, let's check on who he's having dinner with and make sure they're not a virulent white nationalist who uh, has you know, said all the things you say that he said. So right now, there's a lot of Republicans in, in, uh, around him, former staffers that are being like, what an unforced error. Like, what is he doing at dinner, first of all, with Kanye and then allowing this other guy <laughs> in, Fuentes. And by the way, Fuentes is known in the Republican Party. You know, there is a wing, a very right wing, that like many in the party have had to condemn for years, going back to the Reagan era, where Reagan had to condemn David Duke and these white supremacists, right? And what people are comparing this to, especially Trump's response being like, well, I didn't know who this guy was. It's very similar to previous responses. Back in 2016, Trump said, I don't know who David Duke is, even though there were previous clips of him acknowledging who David Duke was, who was a you know, famous white supremacist. Then in Charlottesville, he you know, initially condemns what the riots in Charlottesville the white supremacist marches, and then says, actually, there's good people on both sides. And then you had the incident in 2020 at the presidential debate where he was asked about the Proud Boys, another supremacist group, where he's like, I told the Proud Boys to stand by and stand back. And people are like, well, did you just, wait, what was that? And so people are saying, including in the party, like, you should know by now, former President Trump, you know, soon to be potentially President Trump again, that you should be condemning these types of folks. And that's the issue too, is that he's put out multiple statements and he hasn't condemned Fuentes. He's just like, I didn't know who he was. And by the way, I gave Ye some advice. And by the way, he shouldn't run for president. And by the, apparently, by the way, Jill, the fight was Kanye telling Trump that 
Trump should be Kanye's vice president. And Trump didn't like that. <laughs> and then Kanye put out a video. I can't believe it. Like, this feels like gossip. But you're like, oh, my God, these people could run America again. Kanye is like, yeah. Then he, then he talks smack about Kim Kardashian. And I was like, yo, that's the mother of my children. Any, anyway, that all happened at Mar-a-Lago on Wednesday night. Chris Christie, meanwhile, saying Trump simply can't help himself. He just needs attention. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, who's acknowledged that he is considering running for president in 2024, said, quote, I hope someday we won't have to be responding to what former President Trump has said or done. The last time I met with a white supremacist, it was in an armed standoff. I had a bulletproof vest on. We arrested them, prosecuted him, sent him to prison. Christie not holding back in his interview with the New York Times saying, quote, this is just another example of an awful lack of judgment from Donald Trump, which combined with his past poor judgments makes him an untenable general election candidate for the Republican Party in 2024. It sounds like Fuentes was just praising Donald Trump. And we know how Donald Trump likes that. And so and, that and, and kind of endeared him to Trump, according to reports. It's interesting, Jill, because I was getting notes from some people, you know, some Republicans who were like, oh, you're just like the liberal media most reporting this. And I'm like, no, man, it's the lead of Breitbart. Breitbart.com is, you know, condemning Trump for this. A lot of conservatives are just outraged by this, saying you can't give voice to these sorts of extremists. You can't empower them. And I thought what Asa Hutchinson, the former Arkansas governor, and we should acknowledge, by the way, Jill, that both Chris Christie and Asa, as you mentioned, are looking to potentially run against Trump in 2024, that when you have dinner with these types of people, you empower them. You're basically winking at them. And that's the concern Republicans have about this. So it's not just, you know, in many cases, Jill, on a daily basis, there could be a liberal outrage of the day in regards to Donald Trump. We don't cover those most of the time. But this was a case where even Republicans are like, man, like you should have learned by now. Like, I can't believe you're involved in this. And by the way, four posts on Truth Social mean you're getting quite a bit defensive from President Trump about this. And you're still not condemning this. And who you have dinner with, who you dine with, who you meet with has consequences. It empowers people. It makes certain people on the extremes feel like they have a voice, like they have a literal seat at the table. And so that's something interesting um, to watch here is how the party reacts to this. You know, there has been this general sort of frustration slash malaise since he got back into things in the past two weeks. Um, and, you know, it's like, really, he's he just announced for president. And this is, you know, one of the meetings that he's taking in the lead up to this. And it's going to be a very long primary cycle here, because remember, the first votes for Republicans and Democrats are not until January of 2024, Jill. And can we also just discuss briefly why Kanye and Fuentes even know each other? I mean, the only thing that they could possibly have in common is that they both hate Jewish people. So is Kanye just digging in here? And I say that literally like what? Because like Fuentes it's is a, a white question. supremacist. He actually has made horrific comments about segregation. Um, why do they even know each other? It's like the strange bedfellows thing. I just don't understand. Is it, is Kanye just so digging in on the, like, let's get Jews that, that he, he's willing to just be friends with anyone else who also hates Jewish people? Well, I mean, he, you know, obviously Kanye uh, started this whole most recent controversy round with his White Lives Matter shirt, right? With him and Candace Owens. So he certainly found an interesting group of people I mean, obviously, there are questions as to Kanye's mental state right now. Uh, but you bring up a good point. Uh, one of the people, by the way, who's advising Kanye's nascent presidential campaign, Jill, is Milo Yiannopoulos, who's also 
uh, nationalists of sort online. So there's a whole group of just bad actors who are around Kanye right now. And that's, you know, sort of to be expected given what we've seen of him recently. I guess the better question is, is why is there no one around former President Trump and his new campaign that's preventing him from even being remotely associated with these people? Meanwhile, Jill, I should note over the weekend, there were also conversations on the other side. Joe Biden and family were up in Nantucket in Massachusetts uh, for the Thanksgiving holiday, where according to Bloomberg News, they began the discussions on whether he will be running for the White House again. Remember, he turned 80 years old uh, last week. And a final decision apparently will not be made for the next month or two. These discussions will continue. But uh, allegedly, they began this weekend. And Jill Biden, the first lady, will be playing point on a decision as to whether the current president will also be running again. All right, Jill, we have a lot more news to get to in the podcast. But first, I want to thank our sponsor this week. It is Boland Branch. They are back. If you follow me on Instagram, you might have been part of that viral debate last month about whether you use a top sheet, not use a top sheet. Uh, Gen Z and millennials are apparently kicking it off. Either way, thousands of you messaged us uh, about your sleeping habits, what blankets you use. And Boland Branch took notice, Jill. They are now extending their deal for Mo News listeners for 25% off and free shipping for a limited time with the promo code MONEWS. My wife Alex and I recently got a set that included pillowcases, duvet cover, and yes, a top sheet. And Bolin Branch is a game changer. They get softer with every single wash. If you're looking for a gift for yourself on this Cyber Monday or a loved one this holiday season, we do spend about a third of our lives in bed. So sheets are a very big deal. And this Cyber Monday and the rest of this week, you can go to bolandbranch.com and help give yourself a better night's sleep. Again, you'll get 25% off site-wide plus free shipping when you use the promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, over at bolandbranch.com, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. The offer ends on December 4th. All right, time now for our speed read. From ESPN, the U.S. Soccer Federation briefly displayed Iran's national flag on social media without the emblem of the Islamic Republic, saying that the move supports protesters in the country ahead of the two nations World Cup match on Tuesday. Iran's government reacted by accusing America of removing the name of God from their national flag and saying that they would protest to FIFA to get the U.S. kicked out for discrimination. A U.S. soccer spokesperson confirmed on Sunday that the removal of the emblem was to show support to the anti-government protests that are happening in the country, specifically targeted at more equality for women. The U.S. responded to the protest by Iran Sunday by restoring the official Iranian flag again. And it comes as the U.S. faces Iran in a decisive World Cup match on Tuesday. The winner will likely move on to the next round of the games. Yeah, Jill, the flag has been a central focus. It might feel small, but clearly it, it got a lot of attention. Uh, keep in mind, by the way, the Iranian flag, uh, green stripe, white stripe, red stripe, uh, has lasted over various governments. Uh, during the pre-Islamic days, there was a sun in the middle, a lion and a sun emblem, um, and it's gone through various iterations. Uh, when the uh, Islamic government took over in the early 80s, uh, they put their stamp on it with the um, name of God and various symbols there. And it's not just isolated social media. It's been uh, the controversy has gone into the real world. Fans of Iran or protesters uh, have gone into the stadiums in Qatar with the pre-revolution flag. In some cases, the Qatari authorities have uh, banned them from uh, holding them up inside the stadium. There have also been uh, fans holding up women, life, freedom signs, which has been a uh, 
motto of the protesters. The Qataris, who, by the way, are very close to the Iranian regime, have been trying to bring down those signs as well. But it is interesting here that the U.S. felt like they needed to relent here, uh, Jill, that, you know, they put up this, uh, they basically changed the flag on the U.S. social media sites and Iran freaked out and was going to go to FIFA that the, you know, and I guess FIFA takes these rules pretty seriously. And tell on them? Yeah, like, whoa. (laughs) They're going to tattle. Like, like, look, whoa, the U.S. was being mean to us on social media and like putting up our wrong flag. But apparently there are rules like the U.S. could have been apparently banned from 10 games or kicked out of the World Cup. So the U.S. brought this down, I guess, statement made. uh, But it is fascinating. And what is crazy, Jill, you know, you can't even make this stuff up. The U.S. was put into the same group, preliminary group, as Iran. And given that the U.S. tied England over the weekend, now that Tuesday game is decisive. The U.S.-Iran game tomorrow uh, will dictate who moves on to the next round. And to just think about the geopolitics here, everything, and like it's going to be a fascinating game to watch. Now I'm interested. I, I, I probably <laughs> would not have tuned in at all. Uh, but I'm, I am. that is quite the tease. I can't wait to watch. And you've had the whole separate controversy of the Iranian players who in the first game did not sing their national anthem clearly had a talking to behind the scenes because in the second game they uh, did sing the national anthem which then upset protesters who thought the iranian team was finally showing a sign that they were supporting the protests in the streets so the iranian team here has really been caught in a difficult spot and so are they going to win are they going to how how much they're going to fight like just the the emotions associated with this have to it's it's got to be so interesting to be, you know, we talked about being a fly on the wall at Mar-a-Lago for that dinner, but to be inside the Iranian locker room right now must be fascinating as well. From Axios, happy Cyber Monday, everybody. Today is the biggest online shopping day of the year, and uh, it got off to an early start with a record number of online sales on Thanksgiving and Black Friday. Online holiday shopping growing at a slower pace than in past years, but it does continue to break records. According to Adobe Analytics, U.S. consumers spent $5.29 billion on Thanksgiving, a 2.9% increase over last year. Americans then spent a record $9.12 billion online this Black Friday, a report showed Saturday. Cyber Monday projected to grow 5.1% over last year with $11.2 billion in sales. What's being called Cyber Week, the five days from Thanksgiving through Cyber Monday, is expected to generate $34.8 billion in online shopping. A lot of numbers there. But Moshe, I think the bottom line is, is that this time period, as we said, this five days from Thanksgiving to t- through Cyber Monday is just getting bigger and more important for these retailers. Well, it's so interesting. So Jill, uh, doing quick math there, uh, we spent about $14.5 billion on th- on Thanksgiving and Black Friday alone over 48 hours. So, um, you know, what recession is happening? Um, people are still spending their money. But beyond that, it's so interesting that we still talk about Cyber Monday, Jill, because I feel like it was quaint 20 years ago. You're like, oh, people buy are buying things online. It's Cyber Monday. We're in 2022 now. Like, what are we not buying online? Like, why is it so novel to have Cyber Monday? I mean, I know it's a it's a ploy by these stores these days, but isn't every day cyber every day these days? Anyway, right. that's, my, that's my first take on all of that. Because one of the numbers that came from Adobe Analytics is actually that half of all purchases are now happening on your phone. So Black Friday, 48% of all e-commerce happened on your mobile phones. So people don't even need wow. to go to computers because the phones, it's, it's gotten so easy to buy things on your phone, right? Does anybody still go on Black Friday to line up and get those doorbuster deals at 4 a.m.? 
Remember so, that used to be what we would report on for years and years. I don't, is that a thing anymore? And the videos we would look for are the people like fighting over a flat screen TV in a Walmart, like, you know, somewhere in Missouri. But no, people would be, yeah. they'd have tents up outside of yeah. a Best Buy or something. And then we call it like the running of the shoppers. I, I did the same right. story every year for probably <laughs> 10 years in a row. Well, they're finding that the sales started earlier. People are buying stuff online. You know, I'm sure in some cases there were some of that. I was actually looking for those videos this year and I didn't see much in that way. So maybe, I don't know, have we gotten smarter as consumers or are we just like, have they spaced out the deals? You know, one of the things I noticed, Jill, is that the sales, uh, the discounts have been pretty significant because a lot of stores have too much inventory kind of left over from last year where they ordered too much, you know, so there was COVID where there, everyone was buying stuff and then the stores ran out of stuff. And so then they ordered a whole bunch and then it took a whole bunch of time for it to come from abroad on those ships. And then by the time it got, by the time it got here, people weren't interested in that stuff anymore. From the Financial Times, the U.S. on Saturday authorized Chevron to resume oil production through its joint ventures in Venezuela after the socialist government in Caracas and the opposition resumed political talks. The relaxation of oil sanctions signals a major change in U.S. posture towards the Venezuelan government. The U.S. had previously sought to force the authoritarian president, Nicolas Maduro, from office. In 2019, it recognized opposition leader Juan Guaido as the country's legitimate leader, after claiming that Maduro stole the presidency in rigged elections in 2018. Under sanctions imposed by the Trump administration in 2019 as part of its maximum pressure campaign against Maduro, Chevron was only allowed to maintain its assets in Venezuela, but not to sell any crude. Yeah, this is a pretty significant move, uh, especially at a time where we have seen these record gas prices. Chevron being uh, the only American company that still has an operation of sorts left behind in Venezuela. Keep in mind, Jill, that Venezuela actually has the largest oil reserves of any country in the world. 300 billion barrels of proven reserves. That is like five times what we have in the US. And back in the 90s, Venezuela was producing about 3 million barrels a day. Uh, but they fell on hard times. Hugo Chavez, terrible leadership, these sanctions, etc. Everything's rusted out. Uh, the brain trust has all left the country. Uh, you've, you know, anyone who knew anything about how to produce oil there has left the country. And so they think that even if they can get oil production started again, maybe they can max out on a million barrels a day. Um, it, it is really a remarkable thing because they have to refurbish the oil fields, the equipment, et cetera. And this is a, effectively an acknowledgement that Maduro, who we've been trying to force out of uh, power, is there to stay. Uh, and there's another issue at play here, Jill, which is uh, immigration. And the way this connects is 7 million Venezuelans have left the country as the country has collapsed uh, over the course of the past decade, many of them on the U.S. border. Remember, you know, the whole uh, DeSantis thing where he flew people to Martha's Vineyard. Those were Venezuelan asylum seekers. So there is a sense here that if you can stabilize Venezuela, that'll also help us on the southern border. So there's a lot of complex things going on here. And there's politics at play. Remember, uh, there's a whole bunch of Venezuelans here, very anti-Maduro because they feel he's destroyed the country. And the feeling among Biden and Democrats is at this point, those uh, Venezuelans are going to be voting for Republicans regardless. And so they don't feel that you know they have to play hardball on Maduro at this point. They want to acknowledge the reality that he's here to stay. And there are other policies we can pursue at this point. This from CBS News in a rescue that United States Coast Guard officials are calling a Thanksgiving miracle. A helicopter crew saved a 28-year-old man Thursday night after he went overboard a Carnival cruise ship 
He spent nearly a day floating in the Gulf of Mexico. Carnival Cruise Line said the man was having drinks with his sister at a bar on the ship on Wednesday. He left to use the bathroom at around 11 p.m. He did not return to his room. His sister then reported him missing the next day, Thursday, at around 2.30 p.m. And so the search finally began. The Coast Guard miraculously spotted his position several hours later. He was rescued at around 8.25 p.m., about 20 miles south of Southwest Pass, Louisiana. The man who has not been identified was, quote, responsive but exhibiting hypothermic-like symptoms when he was found by that Coast Guard air crew. Whoa. I mean, there's so much to unpack here, Mosh. All right, so let's go through this timeline again, Jill. He's drinking at a bar with his sister. He goes to use the restroom at 11 p.m. Doesn't come back. The sister clearly goes to bed. The sister then waits until 2.30 the next day. So that is, let's do the math real quickly, 15 hours later, after she, the brother never showed up after the bathroom break, where she's like, oh, he's gone missing. Then they begin the search, and then 8.25, so nearly 21 hours, a little over 21 hours since he went missing uh, from drinks, they find him floating, treading water in the Gulf of Mexico. So there's a few remarkable things here, Jill. First, there's that whole question as to why it took so long to report him. Then the fact that he was treading water for nearly more than 20 hours in 70-degree water, which, by the way, seems pretty warm, but you gets pretty chilly over time in the middle of the Gulf, which it's the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, um, with no sign of life, like the cruise ship has moved on. Like, I can't imagine what was going through his head. Then there's the larger question. If you've ever been on a cruise ship, it's not easy to accidentally fall off a cruise ship, Jill. Like, you have to find a way to get off the cruise ship. So what was his intention in getting off the cruise ship? I was watching an NBC piece on this um, on Sunday and having worked in morning television uh, for many years, I can imagine the uh, booking war uh, between the bookers of Good Morning America and the Today Show right now to get the first interview with this guy uh, must be really intense because there are so many things you want to ask him. And Mosh, I'm sure that our old friends at the CBS Morning Show also trying to get him. You forgot uh, our good friends over there. Yes, yes. No, no, of, of course. Sorry <laughs> to leave you all out, the, the CBS folk. Though I will say this, admittedly, for many, many years, having worked at CBS, those uh, teams for these types of stories, ABC has a knack for landing these interviews, these types of interviews. But listen, he could show up on CBS too. That's so interesting, Mosh. What do they just figured out a way to get these kind of sensational guests? Well, I, I think over time, the shows have taken on different characters. And for many years, in like the last decade or so, CBS has been much more focused on like, you know, politicians and newsmakers. And when it came to like these sort of like more sensational stories, um, I don't know, CBS culturally always struggled with these types of stories where it's like super, super fascinating, but like how important is it? And ABC just is like, they are they have that sort of DNA for these types of stories. Right. I, I I will say no criticism of anyone at CBS. Incredible bookers. They do incredible interviews. But like these types of interviews tended to be kind of the expertise of the folks at ABC for many years. You know, it was interesting. I was watching, I think, uh Willie Geis uh NBC Sunday Today, and he had as part of their story, they had an expert on like survival expert, as as you would, you know, as you would have in one of these pieces that you do at a network. And he he, you know. God forbid you should find yourself in this circumstance. They were saying like, what should you do? And he's like, number one, stay calm. Number two, remember what you have to live for. Like a lot of this is mental. Uh, and then if you're out at sea, apparently you can time your breathing with the waves to try to ensure you don't take in too much water. So that's among the- Oh, um, interesting. 
among the survival tips we have for you here on the Mo News podcast today, should you find yourself floating in the Gulf of Mexico, having fallen off a cruise ship? Mosh, you and I were talking a little bit before the podcast. The the sister component of it, the reason I think you and I both find it that just so fascinating in a way is because we're kind of the opposite. It's like anathema to the way that I think, because I was telling you, my mom, <laughs> when she wasn't missing, she just didn't pick up my phone for my phone call for 10 minutes, literally. And mm. I had called like a code red. I called my dad. I'm like, what, you know, where's mom? What's going on? I was about to send my husband over to the house to see if everything was okay. Turns out it was just happened to be a, a somewhat nice day yesterday and she was gardening. <laughs> but I had immediately been yeah. like, something, something's wrong. We need to go check on her. And she said, okay, I'm sorry. Next time I'll take my phone out with me <laughs> when, I'm go- when I go gardening. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think that for me, it's like if somebody is missing, you know, not even missing. If I don't, if if I can't be, get in touch with them for a certain period of time, I, I do get nervous. A quick recall note via the New York Times: Green Sprouts is recalling about ten thousand five hundred bottles and cups for toddlers over lead poisoning concerns to children, and this has to do with whether a part of the product breaks off, according to the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. The base of these bottles and cups can come off and expose what's called a solder dot at the base of the bottle. It contains lead which poses a potential poison hazard to children, the commission said in a post dated Wednesday. No injuries have been reported, but the company is aware of seven incidents in which that base broke. Consumers should take the bottles and cups away from children immediately and discard them. That solder dot does contain lead. It's supposed to be inaccessible under normal use, so that portion was not tested by a safety lab. Yeah, again, this is the green sprouts um, bottle and cups. And as we know, uh, even though it wasn't intended for normal use or intended to be accessible, kids have a knack for getting at things that should be inaccessible. All right, we're going to end here with this story from CNBC, Jill. You can say goodbye to the airline call center, at least if you're calling Frontier Airlines. The budget carrier last weekend completed its full transition to online, mobile, and tech support. The company tells CNBC that they did this, the full online transition, to ensure customers get, quote, the information they need as expeditiously and efficiently as possible. Are you buying that? Passengers who call the (laughs) customer service number Frontier List on its website now get the message, at Frontier, we offer the lowest fares in the industry by operating our airline as efficiently as possible. We want our customers to be able to operate efficiently as well, which is why we make it easy to find what you need over at flyfrontier.com and our app. So those who want to text with the carrier can get a link to do so uh, sent to their phone. Most major carriers, uh, the ones that I'm flying these days, still offer customer service lines. You know, you just you call the number and you shout operator a million times. <laughs> I don't know, Jill, how do you do it? Uh, the, exactly that way. Operator, operator, person, operator. Person, <laughs> person operator, zero, 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 zero. And so anyway, at Frontier, you will never get an operator ever again. Um, and by the way, Frontier apparently charges fees for seat assignments, carry-on luggage, snacks. And so it's often looking for ways to cut expenses. Have you flown Frontier, Jill? I don't think so. No. Have you? I feel like I, I, feel like I took them like a decade ago. They were like, they had a, they were flying into Mil- Milwaukee, I remember. And I was like, you know what, I'll, I'll give them a shot. But, you know, listen, if you're trying to, you're trying to save money, I totally get it. But just know that like, you should probably avoid them during like, you know, blizzard season, hurricane season, 
anytime you might anticipate major weather events because i can imagine uh i don't know if you've tried texting with the airlines these days or any customer service operator but unless you're asking for something very simple it uh, it becomes a very frustrating experience pretty quickly and most speaking of this is one of the biggest if not the biggest travel weekends of the year we didn't hear any crazy horrible horror stories which is good yeah, Jill, according to FlightAware, uh, there were 4,200 delays and 100 cancellations as of Sunday afternoon, which by uh, the standards of Thanksgiving weekend is pretty much a miracle. Four and a half million Americans were expected to fly. So the fact that there were only about 100 cancellations the entire weekend, sorry if you were one of them, but it appears uh, that uh, things went pretty smoothly. All right. Um, that is a wrap on this podcast. A big thank you to everybody for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Please follow us and subscribe so you do not ever miss an episode. Yes. And if you could take a moment to review the show on whatever app you're listening to us on right now, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. It continues to help us uh, grow the show and spread the word. So we appreciate all of you who have reviewed and can take a moment to do so. Don't forget to follow me, of course, over on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H for the latest and greatest. And uh, we'll see everyone back here tomorrow. Good luck. Good luck with that post-holiday Monday ahead, everyone. 